One of the largest assaults on Ukraine in months now prompting new calls from President Biden for Congress and the international community to step up and help stop Vladimir Putin. With more than 150 Russian missiles and drones being fired on multiple Ukrainian cities across the nation, that killed dozens, injured more. It's an aerial bombardment unlike anything that Ukraine has seen since the beginning of this war, almost two years ago. Schools hit, parks, malls, homes, hospitals, including a maternity ward. Ukrainian President Zelensky says that Russia used nearly every type of weapon in its arsenal. Reporter Helena Linz was on the ground in Kyiv earlier inside the ruins of a warehouse that was hit. The warehouse was uh, hit, the, uh, it caught fire. Uh, when we arrived here, the smoke was still very visible from the outside. The structure is uh, completely uh, destroyed. The roof of the warehouse is totally destroyed. Just a small sliver of the damage. And I should note that this onslaught comes as Ukraine got its last package of military aid from the United States unless, that is, Congress approves President Biden's latest funding request or comes up with one of its own. The president is warning lawmakers to act tonight without further delay, arguing that this is a reminder that Putin is trying to obliterate Ukraine and there won't just be consequences for Ukraine here. Joining me tonight is Mark Esper, the defense secretary under former President Donald Trump. Secretary Esper, thank you for being here. I wonder what you make and what you read into Putin launching this massive attack as Congress is at a standstill over whether or not there will be more aid coming from the U.S. at least to Ukraine. Yeah, well, good to be with you, Caitlin, first of all. Um, look, I think there are a few reasons why this happened now and, and with regard to the scope and scale by which it happened. You know, first and foremost, Putin had a bad week at the beginning of this week. Uh, one of his uh, landing ships was destroyed in Crimea where it was moored. Uh, there are still 30 some sailors unaccounted for. He lost several top end aircraft, SU-34s to Ukrainian air defenses. And, and so it, it kind of hurt him tactically and probably politically back home. So one way to, to get rid of bad news is to present some good news to the Russian people, particularly when uh, you know, you're, they are a week away or so from their Christmas, the Russian Orthodox Christmas, which is in about seven, eight days, is to provide good news. And the good news was this onslaught. That's number one. Number two, I think it's a message to the Ukrainian people that uh, Russia still has the ability to uh, strike, to strike powerfully, and to strike across the country. It, they, they hit multiple cities, as you mentioned, with a broad range of, of weapons, and, um, and they did so effectively in a number of areas. And then I think the third thing is to show also the Ukrainian people that uh, Russia still has the means, is developing arms and, and munitions at a time when, as you noted, uh, continued funding for Ukraine is up in the air here in Washington, D.C. And just a few days ago, uh, Hungary blocked a, an EU package of $50, $55 billion of military aid to Ukraine. So there are a lot of things swirling around right now that I think uh, prompted Putin to, to make this attack. Yeah, you mentioned there what, what Russia was using here. I mean, they basically appear to be using every weapon that they have, these hypersonic missiles, cruise missiles, air defense ones air defense ones, what is the tactic do you think here? Is it to overwhelm and confuse the air defenses that Ukraine does have? That is one reason, uh, because Ukraine does have fairly effective air defenses. You know, we've provided them over the past year and a half uh, with uh, from, from uh, Germany, France, of course, the United States provided Patriot and other weapon systems like Stingers. Uh, 
Uh, and the Patriots have been very effective. They were the ones that have downed both uh, their hypersonic weapons from Russia and recently the Su-34. So a way to defeat air defenses is to overwhelm them, uh, make it so difficult for them to sort through uh, and, and, and destroy and then rearm, reload, that you get some missiles through. And the, the proof is, you know, Russia launched 158 or so weapons. Uh, 20, 30% were not destroyed. And those are the ones that made it through and caused the damage that, uh, that you've been reporting on. Well, given they have that capability, if Russia continues uh, what we saw today over the winter, which is what Ukrainian officials had been dreading and warning, I mean, how long can Ukraine make it without another package based on what we know they've said so far about what they need and what, they, what they're running out of? Yeah, and first of all, that's a part of this, too, is we're really heading into the dark part of winter in Ukraine. Uh, January is typically the coldest month, so it's another message to the Ukrainian people who are openly tiring of the war. You know, recruiting is a problem right now in Ukraine. Uh, the war's going on for almost two years now. So, uh, look, I, I, I think what, what, when you look at Russia, you see that they've actually moved their economy, their economy to a, a war footing. They've dealt with def defense spending. And at the same time, you see in Western capitals a weariness setting in. And you see, again, blocking by Hungary. And this uh, package sits there now uh, being negotiated between uh, the White House and the Senate. Now, we recently gave them a $250 million package. Uh, there are other arms and ammunition and munitions in the stockpile or in the pipeline, I mean, that can move through. Uh, same with the Europeans. But we, we have not got onto a full footing yet when it comes to having the ammunition uh, and let alone the political support to continue funding um, Ukraine indefinitely. I think most importantly, you know, when, when President Biden hosted President Zelensky here a week ago, it was very important the words he used. You know, for the longest time, he was saying that we would support Ukraine uh, for as long as it takes. And then the words came out recently, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, as long as we can. And that's a big difference, the signaling that's going on there. Uh, Secretary Esper, we're thinking on the same track, because I had made note of that tonight when we were thinking about, you know, what to get your perspective on, is how that language has changed. And of course, you know, the question of, of what that looks like, you know, if, if your former boss, Donald Trump, is the Republican nominee if he ends up back in the White House. And speaking of him, while I have you, I am curious what you make of the fact of what we've been talking about this week with Trump being removed from the ballot. Because you're someone who said, you know, that you, former President Trump incited people to come to Washington. You said that he's a threat to democracy. Given that view, what is your position on what these secretaries of state and these, the Supreme Court in Colorado, this decision that, that because of that, saying that Trump did incite the insurrection and added fuel to it, that he shouldn't be on the primary ballot. Yeah, look, I'm not a lawyer, but I've been paying close attention to the legal experts who have been commenting on this. Um, you know, I always go back to first principles. And, and look, I'm not a supporter of Donald Trump. I've been very clear about that. But I do think uh, in this country, everybody's innocent until proven guilty, and that, that the proving of one's guilt has to go through some type of process. A due process, and I have not seen that yet. And so, in my mind, um, you know, it, it, what has happened in Colorado and Maine isn't warranted, and I suspect it will be overturned by the Supreme Court. Uh, and, and again, I say that as somebody who does not want to see Donald Trump on the ticket, let alone uh, in the Oval Office. But that's just kind of my read on it based on what I see right now. If he is back in the Oval Office, do you ever think about who he might pick to take the job that you had, Defense Secretary? I mean, what are your biggest concerns about that? Well, I think that one of the biggest lessons he took out of the last year, his last year in office, is that you have to pick the right people. And for him, uh, the, the litmus test will be about loyalty, uh, number one, number two, and number three. 
confidence will probably be number four. Uh, and so I think that's going to be the litmus test for anybody he brings into his administration. He's not going to want people who push back. He's not going to want people who challenge his assumptions or his views or his ideas. He's going to want people to do what he what he wants. And uh, that, that was apparent to me at the time and others uh, since, um, because he's he's already talked about things he wants to do. There were some of the things he talked about doing in the first term that we were able to push him off of. But um, look, that's my biggest concern is who he will put into office. Secretary Mark Esper, as always, thank you for your time, your expertise, and your experience on all of this.